Welcome to Seven Oaks Sports Talks. My name is James Emmett, the Director of Sport at Seven Oaks School. Today's guest is Jeff Marshall, our very own Head of Athletic Development. Before coming to Seven Oaks, he worked for British Fencing during an Olympic cycle and afterwards with the Special Forces for, for some time. Jeff, welcome. Hello. Hello. Thanks for uh, inviting me on, James. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, um, going okay. I think it was nice to see some snow this week, which has broken up uh, some of the monotony of uh, remote learning. So that's been that's been quite novel, isn't it, this week? But apart from that, I think the highlights so far, um, this this half term at least, have been the performance students groups on uh, on Wednesday afternoon or after school actually. So we've just been. Um, going through some education presentations, trying to create some independence around training decisions and a bit more understanding around why and how to achieve some physical adaptations leading to athletic development, which is obviously my role. And we've actually been getting some very good numbers. I think we've had 45 students across different year groups. So some of the interactions there have been very good. Wow, amazing, isn't it? Uh, and then um, what, um, what, what uh, sort of feedback have you been getting from the, from the pupils? Well, I, th I think just off the back of it, I, I say I'm always available for like personal messages or any questions that need answering. And I end up getting some some really good questions either directly after or throughout the week. So it just prompts some some conversations that otherwise wouldn't be taking place if they weren't exposed to, I guess, the different education pieces that are being presented at the minute. Yeah, good stuff. It's great, great to get those numbers. Um, so I've touched on it briefly at the beginning with your with your bio, but uh, can you can you just uh, for the kind of listeners of the pod, can you talk a bit about your background before arriving at Seven Oaks? Um, well, I guess in, in my third year during my undergrad degree, I became quite interested in wanting to work in performance sport, uh, performance support for for elite sport. So, and I think actually I could have chosen any route, whether that's psychology, physiotherapy, or data analysis, but. I decided to enrol onto a master's in strength and conditioning um, alongside completing some internship work at London Broncos Rugby League. And then I went on to experience um, a pre-season at QPR uh, before being offered a role at British Fencing, working towards Rio Olympic qualification. And then between, between fencing and a uh, full-time role at the school, um, I was involved in delivering some principles of physical preparation with the with the special forces which is quite interesting so what uh, we'll come to the special forces in a bit actually because it, uh, it does sound interesting um so with the british fencing obviously preparing the, these uh, athletes for um for the olympics um what, what did you learn most at, at british fencing during that time yeah it's, it's going to be hard to unpick in such a short space of time i know we try and keep this these podcasts to uh, to 30 minutes but I think before I start, the, the reason I did learn so much was because uh, I genuinely had no idea what the sport was going into it. So it was a completely blank canvas. I, there was no preconceived ideas of what it meant to be successful in, in fencing as a sport. So there was no unconscious bias influencing any decisions I was about to make. And in hindsight, that, that, was, that was really important. Um, but to summarize, I think the biggest learnings were firstly the need for a really clear vision. Um, and then how you reverse engineer that. So obviously winning a gold medal at the Olympics after four years is the real goal, but that performance needs to be completely broken down. 
Um, and that's achieved with, with each member of the support team having a really precise role and, and individual responsibilities towards reaching that performance that will in turn mean the target becomes reality. So the first one, definitely a clear vision and knowing your, your specific role within that, within achieving that vision. And secondly, um, it has to be how important relationships are in a team environment like that. So once, once, just as an example, once we knew we had qualified for Rio, I think it was just over a year out, um, every day uh, it became a little bit more tense. There was a little bit more tension among the fences because Olympic selection was now on the line and that meant emotion had to be managed. Um, and, and actually, I hadn't really anticipated the pressure involved in the whole process, to be honest, but you're working hard with physios, the psychologist, the, the, data, the data analyst and head coach to deliver a completely... 360 perspective and and um, and support towards a training program that's specific to each individual fencer. So you're trying to you're trying to ensure they're in the best position possible to compete and be successful. Cool, that's good. That's good. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I think we'll touch. I mean, later on in pod, we'll, we'll touch a bit on on culture and stuff because it'd be interesting to hear that and uh, about British fencing how you how you dealt with those pressures and then um, and also the. The kind of contrast, I guess, with the special forces, but the um, it's a bit of a plug, I suppose, in a way here. But uh, listening, to, as you know, we, we we're all quite interested in a high performance podcast with Damien Hughes and Jake Humphrey. But they interviewed a guy recently called Nims Perger, uh, um, so, uh, a guy guy who climbed Everest and, and worked in the special forces for the SBS. It's the first Gurkha ever uh, to to uh, work for the SBS. But uh, I mean, it, it sounds in, an incredible kind of unit and group of people and stuff i mean what, what what was what was your experience like with them and do you have any key takeaways from from your experience um oh, it's, okay um well well I, I guess to start with it was it was an incredible experience um just to be a small part of that environment for a very short period of time um, and it was certainly something I never even considered would be would be an option for me. Um, but firstly, I guess the main takeaways, firstly, they were really welcoming and really appreciated what I was there to offer, even even if it was just equated to a tiny percentage of, of what success actually meant for them. Um, and in terms of something to take away from it, they were they were all incredibly humble. And I think if those guys have that, there can't be any any excuses for the rest of us. So humility and, and being humble. Um, I don't think I've ever met a group of people that, that um, had as much humility um, uh, and also the, the, the way their teams are set up actually. So this is quite interesting. So if they were to go out on operation and, and just as an example, if there was a group of four, each individual would have a specialist. So whether that's, I don't know, weaponry, mountaineering or communications, just, just as an example. Um, so each of them would have would have an individual specialist, uh, and I think that's completely transferable to to other other environments. So just like back at fencing, the support team had a specialist in each area. So physio, S and C, which was myself, uh, analysis, uh, and we then came together to overcome any general problems when, when needed. So that's certainly something I would take into an environment if I ever, if I well, hopefully ever end up leading a, a department, just as an example. That's cool. So, did you did do you do you think that being humble and uh, and welcoming sort of was 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 key in 
them creating a culture where they could trust each other and be successful? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think by nature of their selection process, I think they they end up getting the right people in the room, and and that's that's the that's the most important thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and 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 whether it's a coincidence or it's um, uh, an active approach in in kind of their selection process, that they were all incredibly humble and and it was actually in contrast to what I what I was expecting, um, but it actually made me feel really at ease and and made the whole the whole process far more enjoyable for me. I think the way it worked, I would I would spend four days there delivering some some SNC philosophy and education, trying to trying to make them independent in um, decision making whilst whilst away on operation and, and back at back at base. So yeah, it was, it was just really good. Really good. Well, that's cool. It's a, it's fun. I'm, I'm digressing slightly here, but I'll just listen to a podcast that don't tell me the school podcast and the, the latest ones about kindness and how, how much of a difference that can make in terms of positive culture. So perhaps something to listen yeah. to. Yeah, j- just on that as well, and 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 about I guess going back to what I learned most at fencing and and relationships with the team members when you're working towards like a clear vision. So, as a staff group at fencing, we spent we spent a lot of time working through something called insights profiling, um, and it, it's just a, an indication of your character and personality traits. So, it out it ended up outlining things like your strengths on a good day and your potential limitations on a bad day. Which was which was important because obviously we're all human. Everyone has good days. Everyone has bad days, uh, especially in high pressure environments, which an Olympic cycle was certainly that that last nine to twelve months. Um, and it went some way to outlining expectations of each other. Um, and one of the biggest causes of conflict, I think, is because expectations aren't met. So it went a long way to avoiding surprises and then any distractions which, which come from that. Mm, that's good. So, that, um, so moving on to your head of role, uh, your role as head of athletic development seven oh. So, what, 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 what for those, those that are not that aware, uh, what, what is the role? What does it entail exactly? Um, well, I, I guess a simple summary is is just physical well being of every student, um, and just like just like my previous experience, it's all been about reverse engineering of performance specific to the environment that I'm working in so it's no it's no different here it's no different in a school environment it just becomes a far more general approach because they are all further away from the specificity of one particular job required for for success so I I say all the time success at this level is just being consistent and patient Um, and naturally the content of what I deliver will work towards physical adaptations and and that's built upon a foundation of really efficient movements but it has it has an input across the whole sports program, and uh, that's probably what I enjoy most. Actually, is the variety of coaching or teaching movement principles to a, a year seven netball player, for example, and then moving to conversations around managing training load with, with students in the upper sixth. So it's not limited to a, a to a, to a particular age group or sport. So that, that's what I enjoy most about this particular role in, uh, in a school environment. That's cool. So uh, you touched on it slightly earlier, actually, uh, uh, about the about the upper sixth and um, and this sort of kind of not really a clash, is it? But a kind of we're working together of, of achieving sporting success alongside academic success. I mean, when, when you talk to those students, how what, what advice do you give to them? 
Well, I think it's what it, whatever works best for them. So, uh, and some people like um, real strict structure. Some people just like being given the tools um, in the form of education uh, around how best to approach decisions during the week to to achieve whatever their training training objective is. Um, and some will, will want to have a, a strict routine. So seeing me in the morning before school uh, and and that will be the routine for the whole academic year, whereas others, and it's absolutely fine because it whatever it's whatever fits for the individual some will want to want to change based on um their academic work workload changing throughout the year which of course some some terms are busier than others when you're trying to juggle with sport and and your academic achievement yeah and what would you say to a student if they came up to you and said look I, i'm struggling to uh, with with uh, combining the academics and, and continue with this kind of progression of my sport and, and I don't feel I can do the sport any longer what what, what would you say to that well I, I just think you try and unpick it a little bit I think what what I found obviously I did them I've done a master's in in S&C and and I've worked in the environment where over four years you're reverse engineering a hopefully a gold medal winning performance and that that becomes quite transferable so a student comes to you with a problem, you just unpick that problem and then reverse engineer a performance and then create a, a clear structure and a clear process that hopefully means they don't have to substitute something instead of, or they don't have to substitute work over sport or sport over, over academic workload. So it's more about unpicking it and, and trying to, and trying to figure out a clear process to achieve whatever success means, means for them. Yeah. Okay. And then, what on that basis? And how how do you how do you measure success? I, I suppose the, the first part of that question: How do you measure success on a day to day basis? And how would you measure the success of your role uh, and and in relation to the the students at school across a longer period of time? Yeah. So I guess it, in my role, what I'm what I'm trying to achieve, and and I've, I'm sure I've, I've spoken spoken about this before, but. You, you, I'm also almost trying to make make myself redundant because that means you're creating in the, you're creating independence amongst the students and that's exactly what they need to be for for success over the longer term. Of course, you never really achieve that because there's always a next level of delivery, but it allows for conversations to develop and progress. So, as an example, in Year Seven, you're you're just teaching them how, how to land correctly, um, but in Year Thirteen, it becomes more about how to structure your your weekly training load. So. The, w the way you measure that, I guess, well, if I'm trying to achieve dependence, then it would be independence. It would be for students to arrive at an athletic development session, begin some mobility work before then completing their individual program without any prompting from me, um, whilst being really clear on what they're trying to achieve at a particular point in time. And of course, the, the content of that is important as well. So the way they move and how they are actually getting better and that can be measured through different strength and speed tests but so to create some an, an objective conclusion um, not just some subjective opinions but at this level I've, I value the independence above the objective measures of performance like how high they jump or how quickly they change direction for the majority of them that's what will benefit and translate to, to other areas hopefully for the few students who are competing at certain standards, 
um, keeping an eye on the finer detail will equally be as important. Okay, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, Leads on quite nicely, I suppose, because one of one of our department targets, as you know, this year is to sort of develop independence in our students and and the school in, in more general terms. So, I mean, what, what in that regard? I mean, if we're trying to make people independent, um, when we talk, that that's part of our kind of cultural environment, I guess, and creating a positive cultural environment. So, one, how can how can it be created? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. Um, mainly because I think every environment is different. So whatever processes are put in place have to be relevant to that particular group. Uh, but from what, well, from my own experience, working towards an environment like that requires firstly a clear vision, like one of the biggest takeaways from a, a four year Olympic cycle. Um, and also has clear, clear pathways towards achieving that success. So you, you also have to know what success is and, and then how to measure it. And, and from there, each individual should know their role and then their value to the group becomes tangible. So I think that's one of the most important things, people understanding and knowing their value because it creates a meaning and purpose. Um, it was by no means perfect at fencing and I can run, run through some of the outcomes we had, but we got to a point where we could be completely honest with each other regarding daily decisions, which was important, uh, but also almost constantly checking and challenging each other to ensure we were putting together a, a good program of support. Yeah, okay, that's great. So, lead it, I mean, I guess it's what your experience is that, of, of that, the Special Forces and being a Seven Oaks to conserve it. Do you, I mean, do you, do you have any, like, it might change, I guess, over time, but do you have any kind of what we might call non-negotiable behaviours that have been key to your, your personal success or... Or, or the cultural environment that you're in? Yeah, I, I don't know if I've actually been that successful, to be honest. <laughs> um, I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable talking about it, actually. Even being on here is a bit stressful, talking about myself. I much prefer just quietly working away in the background. But um, I think whatever you, whatever you do with that in mind, that whole culture aspect in mind, it has to be under, underpinned by integrity. So that's really important because any relationship is built on trust and honesty and without that working towards a target which um requires everyone's input becomes becomes difficult and that and that some of that goes back to getting the right people in the room in the first place yeah and then how okay so so when you've got an environment like a school where there are so many variables so you're going to have people involved in our department across the school uh, game staff or it's pupils and parents so there are a lot of stakeholders in a school but what what, yeah. what how do you how do you achieve successes as part of that environment yeah it's a good question so every environment has it's like a constraints based approach so it's like almost choose your battles so where where are the quick wins where what requires a longer term approach and more patience and I think it's just prioritizing based on that. Every environment has has different constraints. So it's not it's not um, a smooth process or a smooth journey. So it's just about identifying what what is realistic in the in the environment that you're that you're working in. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And then obviously you've played played and play sport uh, yourself. Um obviously a Graves Gravesend Rugby Club for you before you came to Seven Oaks. Um as we, we both know very well. Um, what what has 
playing sports specifically given you? I was, I was thinking, I was thinking about this the other day, and actually, I think this is the best way I can I can summarise it. And it is whilst the whole competition aspect is is definitely a part of it. Um, I think this is this is a better way of articulate articulating it. Certainly for me. So you you know how meditation is use, a useful way to practice being present. Well, I always found that I got I got that with playing sport, regardless of what sport it was. So usually, usually I, I still am. I'm pretty bad with constantly thinking about what's next and future aspirations, rather than enjoying what's happening right now. So. I used to love playing sport just to fully engage in the moment and, and not once did I, or not do I end up thinking about anything other than catching the ball or making a tackle or whatever else it was. Obviously that's specific to rugby because that's the sport I ended up playing. But I'm sure if a lot of other people thought about it, they would, they would, they'd probably agree. Um, and I read a book recently actually, which covered this point really well. It's called the inner game of tennis. Um, and I've actually given it to uh, Annabelle Cheveley to, to read. Um, and although your author relates it specifically to tennis, the principles can be translated to, to all sports. So I think, I think I'll be handing that out quite often to different students once, once each of them have, have finished reading. Mm. But the inner game of tennis, if, if no one's read that, that's, that's definitely a, a good read. Certainly, certainly recommended. Okay, and, and, and are we giving too much away by giving giving insights from that book? Or no, no, it, it is. Um, it just it just it just breaks it down to being in the moment and not trying to pull everything apart and, and figure it all out at once. It's it's like trial and error. Um, learning from failure is okay, um, and and just being in the moment, um, regardless of of what's happening. So. I think it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's quite old as well. I think I think it's published in 1974, so it's nothing yeah. new. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. Definitely go, go and buy it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. And then, so because of your experiences, then what 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 would you like for every student partaking in sport to uh, at Seven Oaks and beyond, hopefully, when they're old Sinokins to 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 have gained or or to have in in that moment? I suppose you probably alluded to that already in the previous question, but. Yeah, I, I guess you always find an, e an easy answer to that is, is enjoyment. But personally, I've always found that to be like a really superficial answer. So, and I think we can offer something of more value that has an influence over, over the longer term. I think I've described it before is it's the difference between seven individual years of experience at school versus seven years of accumulating experience. And that's if you were to be at, at school from year seven to 13. So I don't know if that really answers the question but the content of that has to be around appreciating the processes that that may lead to a successful outcome rather than always chasing the output or the result yeah yeah makes sense yeah so yeah no it does yeah and and if you were to if you were to if, if you were to offer one piece of advice to to our budding athletes at seven o's what would that be well i've Again, I think I've, I think I've mentioned it earlier. It's, it has to be consistency and patience. So, being really consistent, and I've got a couple of examples. So, being really really consistent is probably the most important part of achieving success in the future. Uh, and the biggest limitation to that is is, is impatience. Our best fencer across the across the four years that I worked there was the one who attended every training session and was very rarely injured. And 
and it was through nothing exceptional other than turning up and being present and ready to compete at every competition. Of course, the content of the training he completed is important also, but consistency has to be, has to be the priority. And, it, and the other thing I'd attach to that is don't avoid failure because you end up learning most during those experiences. And, and the, same thing, the same fencer, Richard Cruz, who lost, who lost in the bronze medal contest at, at Rio Olympics, he said to me he would have retired from the sport if he had won that bronze medal. But the following year, he finished the season as world number one which is actually more prestigious because it requires consistent performances across the entire year. So learning from failure is important and it's not like go and seek failure, but don't be afraid uh, that failure is a, a potential outcome. Ooh. And I, I just, I just got another example as well, because the Super Bowl was on, on this week and I found like listening to the commentary. So Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl. Yeah, I think Hopefully, I haven't got this wrong. Has he got the most appearances in the NFL? Uh, oh, it's a very good question. Surely he has. Surely, but but, but anyway, if, I would have thought so. If, if he has the most appearances in the NFL, it's purely by being consistent. And the commentary on Monday night even mentioned that if you were to put a highlight reel together from Brady's performance in that game, you wouldn't have too much to select in comparison to who is the other quarterback, Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, Patrick and he, he was he was pulling off some spectacular footwork and and diving throws, but they ended up losing the game regardless. And it's just simple consistency, competing the basics incredibly well, will always lead to longer term success. And I think perhaps too many young athletes end up chasing a single incredible moment or piece of skill rather than a continuous approach, which is which is far more sustainable. That's really interesting, actually, that you made that point. Because because one, one of the things I, I talk to, particularly, say, footballers at school, is, is, that, is, to, is to not take away flair. So I wonder how, I wonder what your thoughts on that is, how you, how you, you don't take that away, but st while still developing consistency. I mean, obviously, like Lionel Messi, my, my, my favourite footballer in the world, I guess he, he's not, not only have flair and he's fantastic at what he does, but he's also consistent at it as well. But yeah. when you talk about doing the basics well, how, how do you then develop flair on top of that or not lose it? Well, I, I don't think, I don't think you can, the product of flair would be non-existent if it wasn't underpinned by um, the, the basics being completed really well. So it's just a, it's just a stepping stone, isn't it? You have to, you have to um, ensure that the, the basics play a part of a strong foundation for you to even explore what you what you can do on top of that. And obviously you're describing it as flair, but yeah, it's like something special in in a game that perhaps you haven't you haven't practiced. But that's still that's still underpinned by knowing your role and and having a, a really strong foundation of basic skills. Yeah, yeah, it makes it definitely makes sense. And then, and then just just rewinding slightly to that as well. What, what 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 do you see? There's obviously a difference between individual sports players and team players. Um, and what what is your experience of the two? And then and then are there similarities as well that you, in terms of how you would go about advising them? Yeah, I, I don't. It's 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 a it's a tough question, but. I think if in a team sport, your priority is looking after your teammates and in an individual sport, it's the focus is yourself. So you're in, 
you're in complete control of yourself. Whereas team sport, your priority has to be looking after the person next to you. I think, I think that's no secret. That's been described many times before, hasn't it? So I think that's the main difference. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I don't. I, I don't. I, I guess in an individual sport, there are less variables, aren't there? So you you could when when you talk to anyone about the consistency and and, and effort involved um, for students, is that in an individual sport, I guess you can you can achieve that budget by yourself, can't you? Whereas when you when you're in a team, like say you're playing rugby, is yeah. that I guess you you as an individual can be as consistent and, and put in as much effort as you possibly can. And I guess that contributes towards the team environment because there's so many variables in a game of rugby as opposed to running a marathon, for example, then, 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 then it, it's slightly more complex. Mm. And then, yeah, it is more complex. So it becomes, it becomes more, becomes more difficult um, to, to bring all those pieces together and, and achieve success. I think fen fencing was, I think probably a unique sport in in the fact that you had an individual competition um, and you had a team competition. So the individual competition would run, um, well, the, the direct elimination bouts would run first to 15 points and you'd have three rounds of three minutes with a minute rest in between um, to, to achieve 15 hits on the opponent. Uh, and then the team bout would be first to five hits uh, and it'd be a rotation against the opposition uh, and it'd be first of five hits and an accumulation of points up to 45. So it was, I, I probably within the same sport, I had the experience of, uh, and, and it was incredibly complex as a result, the combination of both individual performance and then trying to support a team performance whilst they're working as an individual and as a team, it was, I think it's probably, it's, it's, a, it's a niche sport anyway, fencing, but that was that's certainly very unique. I can't imagine there's any other sports just off the top of my head that have both an individual and, and a team concept involved. Yeah. And then the, uh, the final question, the big one, uh, what, what do you hope will be your legacy to sport and, and, and in more general terms, education, I guess, at Seven Oaks? Um... Good question. I think, I think if you if you want to have a bigger impact, you need to be influ influencing things outside of your direct delivery. So, I guess what what we've what we've done already is the conversations we've been having regarding the vision and the strategy plan. I think that's that's been put together. That that's been a good start. Also, think like starting this PhD work, which I thought was a good idea at first, but it's becoming a bit more stressful already. Um, but whilst at fencing, my supervisor was completing his own PhD research on the on the physical determinants of Olympic fencing. And the whole process of data collection and critical analysis meant that, that by the end of it, we had a completely clear idea of what it meant from, from a physical perspective, so isolated to our individual roles within the group. We had a completely clear idea of, of what it meant to be successful in the sport. And we could then reverse engineer that through training programs and and specific movement. So ideally I'd like to bring something similar to, to sport in school where there's an evidence-based intervention and creating a more of an objective landscape that describes what is happening and then inform a, in, informing wider decisions that are made across the school. I think, I think ultimately that just underpins the well-being of students, but 
ho- hopefully I can hopefully I can achieve something like that. Yeah, it makes sense and uh, uh, nice and ambitious. So I like it. Um, Jeff, thanks uh, thanks ever so much for joining me today. It's uh, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, really insightful, and, and hopefully students and other listeners uh, to the pocket to get 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 a load out of it like I have done today. But, uh, and, and fingers crossed, we get back to school fairly soonish. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks, thanks again. Okay, thanks, James. Yes.